Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Schechtman. Confucius may have said it first, but the oft-quoted and repeated phrase, wherever you go, there you are, can certainly apply to families in the military. Even in a culture as mobile and connected as ours, the reality of constantly moving, long separations, anxiety, stress, and danger are all realities that are not easily offset by Skype or FaceTime. We've seen and read a lot about military families, but what it's like today in a mobile global culture and with warfare not cold but hot, an almost permanent condition, is a very different story. We're going to talk about a personal story in this context with our guest today, Rachel Starnes. She received her MFA in creative writing from Cal State University, Fresno. Her essays have appeared in numerous publications, and it is my pleasure to welcome her here to talk about her new book, The War at Home, A Wife's Search for Peace. Rachel Starnes, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to talk to you this morning. It's great to have you here. Uh, the last thing you expected, actually, was to uh, become a military wife. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, that that's definitely true. I think uh, I was never supposed to be a military spouse, but that was more in the context of uh, the way that I grew up. My father worked on oil rigs and did rotational work and was often gone for long periods and uh, his schedule could be very unpredictable. So I grew up knowing what it was like to miss someone and to have them gone cumulatively about half my life. Um, and the one thing I took away from that experience was I will never marry a man who leaves. <laughs> and here I am. Um, I've, I've, I fell in love with my little brother's best friend, and he had a very strong call to service. And that was something I was very unsure about at first, but I was sure that I loved him and that I trusted him. And so I took this leap and here we are. We're nearly 12 years in. We have uh, two sons who are five and four, and it's certainly been a long road with lots of challenges. It's brought up lots of things for me, um, just from my past that have been difficult to deal with. But I feel very strongly that that what he's doing is a noble path, um, even if it's politics and if it's uh, particulars are often difficult to grapple with. Mm-hmm. When you took the leap and you put it in the context of, of this noble cause and the importance of the work that he was doing, to what extent did you look at that and say, do I really believe this or is this the rationalization for where love is taking me? Mm, that's a very good question. Um, I believe, uh, and I should make it clear when I when I refer to the noble cause, what I mean is that I believe that it is a noble calling to serve your country. I, I don't extend that kind of uncomplicated black and white view necessarily to the particulars mm-hmm. of everything in the current conflicts that we're involved in. Um, so that's, that's maybe something I need to, um, that's been a, a point of confusion sometimes for me and stress. But um, I, I do believe that, um, you know, that what we're doing and, and what we've chosen to do as far as um, <laughs> rationalizing it in terms of love, um, I, I don't know. But I do believe that when we reach those stumbling blocks in those places that really challenge us and pinch us and um, put us in situations where we felt like we've been unsuccessful or in pain before, that there's actually a very important opportunity for learning there. And, you know, maybe that is a way that I've justified repeating a painful family pattern, but um, 
I have to believe that there's still something here for me to learn, and that's what I'm looking for. How much more difficult has it been than you imagined in the beginning? Oh, wow. Um, I think a lot of what I've imagined um, was built on popular references to the military and past conflicts and also a lot of kind of guesswork and cliché. I don't know that I had really any accurate framework for what to expect when I came into this. And that's been the surprising thing for me is that a lot of my preconceptions of life in the military have been dead wrong. Um, It's an extremely diverse population, and there are all kinds of people who have come to it for all kinds of different reasons from enormously diversified backgrounds. It's one of the things I've been very thankful for, in fact, is having a lot of those notions of what military life is and who the military is. I've been really grateful to have those challenged. In that sense, popular culture and the perception of what it's like for military families does almost a disservice. Oh, absolutely. And I believe that there are some things out there that, you know, while I think it's a service perhaps that they've brought up, thinking about those populations, they've done it in a way that I don't feel like is entirely responsible. I'm thinking of that in terms of, um, you know, army wives or some of the shows that have sought to kind of perpetuate this idea of um, kind of a real housewives vibe to the spouse community where there's drama and division and betrayal and you maybe it makes for good TV, but I don't <laughs> know that it's necessarily accurate to the experiences of a lot of people who really, I think, um, approach the challenges and the issues and the philosophy behind a lot of what's going on with a very open mind and a, a very questioning heart. And I don't believe that that's often reflected. I think we're lumped into this group often of these um, very unconflicted, flag-waving um, women who, you know, that's, that's not an accurate reflection mm-hmm. of who this population is. Talk about the dual challenges of of the separation being certainly one that you've touched on, but also moving so frequently and and, and lacking any kind of roots as a result of that. That's been very difficult, and I think that was part of the motivation behind writing the book for me, was that I, um, number one, I was working through this feeling of, you know, am I... Am I justifying repeating a family pattern, or is there actually something for me to learn here, and how do I figure that out? And then secondly, with the moving piece, um, those moves, those relocations are very frequent, and it's a very different experience of them. Um, but, you know, when you compare my husband's experience and my experience, for, for him, each move, each relocation represents a step in his career, an accretion of rank, of experience, of new challenges, and each place that he goes, he has an elaborate check-in process, and he has, you know, this this uh, ritual of things to do and connections to make that are immediate. Um, for me, however, the experience is much more akin to having uh, an it's it's an erasing experience. It can be because in each new place, I've had to find a new job, uh, a new home that we're going to live in, and try to try to make all of the things. That, that we want in a home work and uh, find new friends. And for me, it was, it was hard to see each of those relocations as building towards something when for me, they really meant losses over and over again. And after a while, that began to, I felt like it began to reflect on my, my identity, my sense of self, my career path, which was full of holes. Um, 
those relocations really felt like liabilities. And when you when you fold in the piece of separation as well, um, I think it can be very hard for spouses to find their footings in each new uh, community. I mean, certainly the military and its uh, community of spouses, that's there. And if you live on an installation, that makes it a little bit easier to reach out. But at the same time, I think that's a very real struggle for, for spouses, maintaining that sense of self and your own sense of forward direction when it keeps feeling like, the tide is sweeping it all out from under your feet. In your experience, the, the experiences that you went through, that you write about in the war at home, to what extent are they universal? And, and to what extent have you found that, that they really manifest themselves differently and uniquely for different couples? Mm, that's a great question. I think, first of all, that... Um, Branch of service, I think, is a is a an important factor to the conversation to have perspective on what exactly my experiences are. Um, we're talking about the Navy, and we're talking about aviation within the Navy, and those are you know that's a pretty specialized community. Um, when we talk about the cumulative impact of repeated and prolonged deployments in these last fifteen years of war, I mean, I think everybody's hat should be off to the Army and the disproportionate share of the burden that they've borne. So in that sense, I don't think that my unique story can be extrapolated to apply to all branches of service or all spouses simply for the fact that the mission of each branch is very different and the burden placed on each branch has been very different. And also I feel like uh, when you talk about the specifics, how couples work through these issues, there's been an enormous uh, variety of coping strategies and, and uh, agreements that I've seen just in my small circle. So I have to think that everybody has their own way of dealing with these challenges. And I think that's one of the, one of the strengths that the military actually um, has is that it really encourages people to um, develop these, these very complex and movable um, sets of problem-solving tasks and techniques. Um, but in you know in the sense that it's involved a uh, discussion about balance of power and fairness and child rearing practices and just the financial gymnastics we've gone through in being a single adult family with with one adult far away and then a double adult family back and forth back and forth that's I think that's something that a lot of people have dealt with in the military. One of the things that, that you talk about is that tension that exists between self-reliance that's forced on you on the one hand and emotional intimacy on the other. Talk a little about that. Mm. That's definitely been an extreme challenge because I think there, are, there you do go through these periods where you have to be entirely self-reliant. There's there's not communication um, that's as easy as I think some people might perceive that to be. There are often times where you can't communicate. There is no cell phone access. There is no FaceTime. There's no Skype. There's no Facebook, nothing. Um, they're either too busy or there's an injunction against that. It's physically barred. So um, having to switch back and forth between those two modes of having, you know, the entire responsibility for the family and for everything that's going on rest on you while your husband's away. And then when he comes back, trying to build that, um, that intimacy again can be very taxing. I think there's, there's a certain kind of 
emotional elasticity that is taxed to the point of brittleness um, when you incorporate um, separations and stress and also the very real idea of physical risk into this equation. And over time, I've found that my capacity to do that, my capacity to switch modes and to um, both lean on my husband and rely on him and confide in him, and then at the same time be able to pull all that back when he goes and, and really let him go, that's been very difficult to do. And I, I think I'm, my capacity for that <laughs> is growing smaller, frankly. Is there a solution to any of this, or is this something that is just inherently baked into the system as it is? That's a good question, and I've really thought about that one a lot. Um, and I think what I've come to is there are some, you know, there's some definite like nuts and bolts um, solutions that can take some pretty ridiculous barriers out of the way that have been making life difficult for military families. The, uh, the Obama administration recently came out with a joining forces initiative. It was a, an effort on behalf of or that uh, Michelle Obama and Jill Biden were, were doing together to um, remove the barrier of a lot of the licensing requirements for uh, spouses' careers as they move state to state. For instance, if you're a nurse or a, a speech pathologist or any of any careers that might require some kind of licensing um, some kind of licensing exam as you move between states. Uh, those have often been barriers to people who are moving quickly and often uh, from practicing their careers and building their careers. So there's some there's some concrete things like that, and as well, um, children moving between states and having to face uh, inconsistencies in curriculum that often end up costing them time and years as they're having to repeat courses that aren't of use outside of any other state. Um, those are some real practical things, but in a macro sense, if there's a solution to all of this, I don't know that there's a way to take out the pain of separation or the necessity to keep moving from installation to installation. Um, what I've wondered, though, is if it might not be time to really rethink the entire concept of service, if there's if there's a way that we could kind of bridge that civilian-military divide and I've wondered in a real sense, and in, in this way I've really had to give myself a gut check, I have two sons, but I don't know if the concept of an all-volunteer military is still practical and feasible. I understand its strengths for sure, but um, I also wonder if some sort of compulsory service or you know, a draft, I know it's a scary word for a lot of people, but if hoping that there would be some larger percent of the percentage of the population that would come alongside and serve. I mean, it's less than half of a percent right now. It's 0.45% of the population that's serving in the military. And this is the longest conflict we've ever had. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. What do you think that that would change? How do you think that it would, would begin to remediate or address some of these issues we've been talking about? Well, for one, if we all viewed it as um, a part of citizenship, um, serving in some capacity, uh, whether it was, I, I remember in, um, you know, learning about the Civilian Corps and the Depression, how there was a way that you could serve to, um, you know, better the infrastructure of the country, building bridges, building roads, some, some kind of service. Um, because I feel like the discussion these days, especially around some real hot-button issues, revolves around 
protecting rights that we have, but not really talking about how we earn those rights and how we, um, you know, how we view those. It's, it seems like we're talking specifically, I mean, about the gun issue, we're talking about an entitlement. And, you know, we're not really talking about what, what it takes to protect that right. You know, if we were, if you had to spend some time as a soldier to be able to have a gun, what if that happened? I don't know. If you were writing this book, not only from your point of view, but from your husband's, how would his view be different, do you think? I think my husband would have a very different perspective on this because um, he uh, he's very passionate about what he does, and he's very passionate about um, the idea of service. And I think he is also able to... Um, take a step back from the politics and, and not um, worry about those confounding factors as much. Um, that said, though, he's also um, a very private guy. And in writing, in writing this book, I really think that, you know, we came up against trying to find, I came up against a, trying to find a code of ethics for how to speak my truth about this marriage and about this experience and how I experienced the military and, and still not um, run afoul of or violate anything that he felt. Um, and so that was, that was definitely a challenge. Um, and I think were he to write a book about his experience, it, yeah, I think it would be very different from the one that I've written. Um, and I think it would really focus a lot more on the idea of service and, and what it means, especially the bonds that he's formed within this community and the people that he's met along the way. It's, it's meant an enormous deal to him. What impact did the writing of this have for you? Was it, was it cathartic in a way? Um, I, I, I kind of step away from the notion of catharsis in memoir mm-hmm. because um, I think there's, there's a place for therapy and then there's a place for really deciding, in a sense, what serves your narrative and uh, what to put on the page and how it all comes together, what it means. Certainly, I, I feel like uh, writing what I've written was important for me in order to to really see how it all added up and what it meant and how it surprised me over the years, the person that I've turned into from this experience, um, how, it's, how it's challenged and changed my notions of what it means to be left behind or alone or, um, you know, missing someone. And also how that's, how that's been a positive thing in, in some regards, that it really has uh, forced me to grow in ways that I don't think I would have had I not been uh, exposed to this community. If a friend was about to take the leap that you took all those years ago, what would you advise her? I think I would uh I would definitely advise her to to get really good on being patient <laughs> keeping an open mind um I think it's uh one of the things that perhaps worked in my favor but was certainly very painful early on was that I I didn't have a set goal about where I needed to be in the next couple of years or what I needed to do career-wise I was open to the experience of what is this going to be like? And that I was open to the idea that perhaps my passion writing, you know, number one might never pan out in in the validation of publication. And number two might be 
a passion that was entirely separate from what I did for work. So in that way, I was pretty flexible going into this experience, and um, I think that may have insulated me against um, some of the loss of self that can happen if you do have an established career or, or, a, or a set goal, and then you're trying to make that work in a very elastic situation like this. But I have to say, I, the other military spouses that I know are fantastically different from one another. They have uh, amazingly various ways of dealing with all this. So I think if I had a friend that was going into this experience, um, I wouldn't presume to know what her what her toolbox was going to be for dealing with these experiences and instead just say, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm here, my door's open, anytime you want to ask me something, go ahead. Rachel Starnes, her book is The War at Home, A Wife's Search for Peace and Other Missions Impossible. Rachel, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.